Leviticus chapter 23. In Leviticus 23, we have a summary of all of the required feasts of the Lord. Uh, it is not the totality of all the instruction for each of them, but it is an overview of all of them. And it summarizes them. And this is the spirit of these feasts to the Lord. So we're going to have, uh, we've already talked about the uh, Sabbath as being one of those. That there's a weekly uh, opportunity to be involved in worshiping the Lord through the keeping of the Sabbath. And we talked about the Sabbath versus the Lord's Day. And we've examined that and uh, hopefully come to a really strong position there. And that sometimes the feast that we do is the rest, is just feasting on resting. And we don't often think of that as a physical and spiritual and psychological rest of feasting. We then have them move very quickly in verse 4 of Leviticus 23 to the Passover, followed immediately by the Feast of Unleavened Bread, followed by the Feast of First Fruits, followed by the Feast of Weeks. That is then uh, talked about the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And so those are your major feast days. Now we can add in, and we will add in later on, the Feast of Purim, that two-day celebration uh, built out of the events around the book of Esther. But of course that would have happened uh, much later, and it was not part of the law. It was added. We're also going to be talking down the road a piece uh, after we get done with the seven feasts with the uh, added fasts. And the fasts were not added by God, but they were added by tradition. And I make that reference tonight because we have a lot of ideas currently uh, in Judaism and in Messianic Christianity, those that I would call Judaizers, that um, uh, focus around a lot of traditions that are just not in Scripture. And we want to be careful that we do not confuse these. And while they have their roots very clearly in certain events in Scripture, uh, so did the fasts of Israel have roots in events in their national history. But they weren't the events that God calls their attention to, and they weren't activities that God required. And in fact, God says, I don't want that anymore. I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to see that kind of national fasting. Uh, you'll find that there's only one day uh, in, these, in this list of national fasting, and that's the Day of Atonement. All the others are feasts before the Lord, and we'll talk about why the, the Day of Atonement is a solemn day and an important distinction out of all the other days of the year. And it is also the shortest of all of them because it is a day. It is the tenth day of the seventh month. Uh, and it's a holy day, and we're going to talk about that when we get to it. It is a Sabbath as well even though it is not the 14th day of any month, which is a normal Sabbath. So it falls in the middle of a week, and we're going to talk about that when we get to it here in three weeks. So today, our focus is going to be on the, set, on the Passover and the Feast of, of Unleavened Bread, which is the beginning of their religious calendar. Now this is kind of odd to us, because uh, we don't function on two calendars. Well, some of you might. Uh, some of you, our government operates, I think the city of Albuquerque operates on a fiscal calendar and a 
right? So when's the fiscal calendar of the city of Albuquerque? Anybody know? July. July 1st is the fiscal year begins. And so whenever you vote for things, always for different funding things, whenever the, the city council votes for funding, it starts not January 1st, it starts July 1st, because that's the beginning of our fiscal year. And so Israel had two calendars that overlaid each other. One was a religious calendar, and the other one was a national calendar. And so we're going to really look at the beginning of months, and from God's perspective, the religious calendar is the priority. But, it is, but God does recognize that there is a, a, another beginning, and it's not the beginning that we would think of, and so in the spring is the spiritually, uh, spiritual religious calendar beginning. And uh, we're going to reference that a little bit tonight, uh, how it's tied into the moon, the lunar cycle, uh, following the, the, the rains. And so it's the spring, uh, either new moon or full moon, depending upon our discussion from a few weeks ago. Uh, and uh, then that begins your, your fiscal, your religious year. And then that's going to be changed when we get into the fall because their normal years, their, their geopolitical, their political year starts really in the fall and those events. So let's read these handful of verses that we're going to go into Exodus and fill them out. There's several other passages that we can visit as well. They give us further instruction. Uh, but we really want to focus on the principles that are laid down rather than the specific activity. Because we're not really trying to uh, do this. We're going to talk about why we're not trying to do this here in a little bit. And so we have here in verse 4, it says, These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the fourteenth day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. On the fifteenth day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. But you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. As I said, this chapter is a brief summation that just very in a very rapid fire fashion gives us all of these in one concise place. But we understand that there's a fullness to these. He obviously only uses a few verses to talk about the Passover. It is the Lord's Passover. And every Israelite should know what that means. Because at this point, the writing of Leviticus, they were still alive who were there for the very first Passover. Now this Passover, uh, we recognize that they should be caring for that and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, even during their wilderness wanderings. They should have been... Uh, celebrating that. The other feasts are reserved. They're held back for when you get into, especially the Feast of First Fruits, it is qualified when you come into the land. Uh, and then that becomes the determination for all the other ones. So if you don't celebrate the Feast of First Fruits, you can't celebrate the Feast of Weeks because it's counted off of the first Feast of First Fruits. And uh, we have the this all depended upon coming into the promised land, but not the feast of Passover and unleavened bread. And so we end up with seven days of unleavened bread combined with the Passover. We have an eight-day celebration. But only three of those days are Sabbaths. So uh, the Passover day is the 14th. 
And because it's the 14th day of the month, we know it is what? It is a Sabbath. Because the new moon establishes a new month. Um, and that new moon could be a new moon or a full moon. And so that moon, either a dark moon, I should say a dark moon or a full moon, we're not sure what new moon means to them. Uh, and then uh, 14, seven days is a Sabbath, 14 days is another Sabbath, but it is also Passover on the first month of the year. And so the lunar cycle will always be the same on that day. It will either be a completely full moon or a completely dark moon, correct? Depending on what new moon means to them. Either it will be a dark moon or a full moon. And I would contend it is a dark moon on that night. And I'll explain, I'll try to defend that a little bit when we get to Exodus. That there is some good argumentation for it being a dark moon on that Passover night. Now, the celebration of Passover is very interesting because Israel, during Passover, were still slaves. Correct? At sunset of Passover, they were still in Egypt and still slaves. And, and that's when Passover begins. It's the Lord's Passover. So while we are celebrating God's deliverance, the beginning of that deliverance was the judgment on the Egyptians. Now remember, they had taken their lambs into their home. They were instructed to care for it, and that's going to follow from there on. So on the 10th of the month, the 10th day, so 10 days after the new moon, after the beginning of the month, uh, you have them take the lamb into their home. Uh, it was supposed to be kept there in the house for those days and then sacrificed and it is supposed to be prepared and it is not supposed to leave that home, the meat of that, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. And so it's all celebrated in the home and it is centered there and it is specifically for only those that are of Israel. And there are prohibitions against offering the Passover to anyone else. You can only offer it to those in that home. And so when we find this coming upon the, the Passover, they were still in captivity the first Passover. They were still in Egypt. It was celebrated in their homes in Egypt. And what else happened that night was that the angel of the Lord came through the camp and killed the firstborn. And uh, so that event Occurred, And I would contend that that event occurred not during a, a bright moon, but during a darkened moon. That this was a dark time. And people, there's various arguments on both sides. Some people say, well, the, the, new, the full moon was necessary for their travels at night. And of course, that holds no water at all. Because what does God say you're going to move by night at? God says, I'm going to... You're going to be traveling day and night. And that might say, how do you travel day and night with children and all of that? Um, but the likelihood is they would have traveled at night more than during the day, simply because of the coolness of the weather, although it was spring. And so it was the best time of year. God says that. I didn't take you out in the dead of winter. I didn't take you out in the heat of summer. I took you out when it was pleasant. And so they could travel day and night. But God doesn't say follow the moon and the light of the moon. He says, for these seven days of the, of the first excursion, uh, you're going to follow what? You're going to follow my pillar of fire. That God's going to supernaturally lead them by the pillar of fire. And in fact, when we find them at the Red Sea, uh, which is within a week, 
uh, there, is, there is no evidence of a, that has been a bright moon this whole time, as we're going to see. So uh, I have some arguments there, but I'm not really focused on that tonight. So the Passover begins in Egypt. And it's going to end outside of Egypt. It's going to end still in Egypt, but on your way out. By morning, they're going to be packing. They're going to be sent on their way. And if you know anything about moving large numbers of people, it probably took the most of the day to get them all out of the main city there. You're moving hundreds of thousands of people, women, children, everything. Now, that's why there was no time for anything else. Uh, literally, pack your bags and hit the road. Uh, they were supposed to already be largely packed if they had the belief in what God was doing. They were supposed to be ready to go. But also we know in the morning, not only were they sent off, they were sent off with what? With the gifts of Egypt. That the Egyptians loaded them with gold and, and jewels and, and all of that said, get out of here, here, here. And they paid them their quote-unquote wages for their servitude to send them away. And so... Uh, these events transpire. They then are going to be directed by the Lord to a different place. But I want you to consider why God separates Passover from the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Because one is a designation of going from captivity to freedom. The other one is about the journey. So one is the event, and, and spiritually I think this has a lot of significance for us. One is about the event of liberation. The other one is the journey of the liberated. And, and so he, he sets them apart. Even though they're one day following the other and it becomes an eight-day event, they have very different significances. And, uh, and we're going to look at those. So this is the summary of them. And so we know that the Feast of the Lord is a holy convocation. So that means it's supposed to be uh, declared, everyone does this at the same time. Even though you're going to do it in your homes, we all do it the same time. That there is no, I'll do it whenever I please, and you do it whenever you please. This is the law of the Lord. Everyone will do it as a nation, as a people, at the same time. Uh, on this uh, lunar cycle, on this uh, sunset of this cycle. And so let's go to Exodus. And we'll see the uh, events ab around that. And that's in Exodus chapter uh, 11 and 12 when we have all of this. Uh, this last plague. Remember that Moses has now asked Pharaoh to let his people go ten times. Once before there was any plagues and then nine plagues along, he has asked them, let my people go. Pharaoh has variously replied and taken back, and, and, uh, and Pharaoh, or Moses is just waiting. He's waiting, as we talked about this morning, for Pharaoh to give him permission to take Israel out of the land. This is not a rebellious activity. They are honoring Pharaoh, asking his permission ten times. And ten times, Pharaoh has essentially rejected that, that request. And now comes the last straw, if you will, where God will break him. And God has intended this all along. In chapter 11, verse 1, it says, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. 
And so if you've ever been driven out of a home, how many of you have been driven out of a home? Well, I'm glad to hear that. All right, that means that uh, get your stuff out and leave. Uh, every now and then you see people driven there, that their stuff is all on the front porch. They're all out in the yard. You've been thrown out of the house. Uh, you've been driven away. And you have to collect your things quickly and go. Uh, people who are in front of natural disasters are driven out. You just have to leave. There's no time to contemplate things and to set your affairs in order. You're driven out. And this is what God intended. That, that Pharaoh's going to drive you out. That means you have to leave to honor Pharaoh. You want to leave. That's what you've been praying for, why God rose up Moses. But we're waiting for Pharaoh to tell us to leave, to force us to leave. Isn't that interesting? really correlates with this morning's message. And I know that kind of took a few of you back this morning when I said that. Um, but Moses is waiting for Pharaoh and waiting for God to deal with Pharaoh's heart to liberate his people. And it takes some dramatic action. And so we know ahead of time that uh, this is God's plan, uh, that there's going, that all of this is going to happen, and so it's going to happen at midnight. Uh, interesting. What happens at midnight? At midnight, verse, let's jump to Exodus 11, uh, verse 4. Thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all firstborn land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall it be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue, against man or beast, so you may know the Lord makes a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, and saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you. After that I will go out. And then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. This is what, what is told to Pharaoh. And so uh, Pharaoh's fairly warned. He's not warned not only that it's going to happen that night, he's even given the exact time it's going to happen at midnight. At midnight, this is going to happen. You can set your guards, you can do everything you want to thwart it, but when God comes through the camp, when God visits Egypt, the firstborn of man and beast are all going to perish. There's nothing you can do to stop it. The Israelites are in their houses, doors closed, because it is not for, and windows closed, it is not for them to see this kind of judgment of God. This is the wrath of God. And notice that the anger is listed there. He left them in anger. That you brought God to this. God has to do this. You have brought him to this because you will not listen to nine plagues. Now you have to come to this plague. And here comes the wrath of God being poured out. Israel was not supposed to watch it. They were not supposed to have it, any contact with it. At sunset, they were supposed to be in their homes. Everyone was collected there. There's no sneaking around through the alleyways at night. I know in the Ten Commandments, they got Joshua putting blood on different doorposts. Doesn't happen that way. Everyone from sunset on is in the house, secure. The lamb is, the blood has been applied and they are now ready to roast and eat this animal and the unleavened bread. And they had baked a whole bunch of unleavened bread, not just for that meal, but for the journey. There was no time to wait for all that bread to rise. They had to bake enough bread for the entire journey. 
And in their mind, where they were journeying to was not the Red Sea. They were journeying to Israel uh, up into there and the, or to the Cana, Canaan. And they're going up into Canaan. Uh, that's what they were anticipating. And, of course, God's going to send them on a, on a uh, detour. And he's going to explain that. So this is what's going on. Passover is distinct from the Feast of Unleavened because its focus is on the event of deliverance. And the event of deliverance, while it is a rejoicing time for Israel, is a time of great wailing and weeping and sorrow for Egypt. And the focal point of all of this is the blood of the Lamb. And so we come into chapter 12, and we have the instruction. Notice that the instruction occurs even before they practice it. And so they are told everything about it, uh, the entire chapter, really, until all the way down to verse 29, uh, that all this happened. And so let's go ahead and read some of this. Uh, the instruction is more than just do this tonight so you can live. It's much more formal than that. It is this month shall be your beginning of months. In verse 2 of chapter 12, that's where I'm at. And it shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. If the household is too small for a lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Doesn't matter whether it's a, technically a lamb or a kid. Now you should keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And, it shall, and shall take some of the blood, put it on the doorposts of the lintel of the house where they eat it. And shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roast it in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. So we're eating the entire animal, which, which uh, involves the organs as well. Let us, let, you shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And so whatever is, there's no leftovers of this meal. Why? Because everything that lamb represents the deliverance from everything, that you are having, you're going to be a different people at, at sunrise than you were at sunset. And the blood of the lamb is going to make that difference. That's what's being communicated. And so this lamb isn't going to have leftovers, not that you can just eat it at your convenience. This is the time of it. And it's going to be a lamb, why you bring it into your house so early, four days. Why are you bringing it the 10th and not Christ to the 14th? This has been variously explained. Some say, well, it's the whole thing of making attachment. Uh, it's the whole thing of keeping it pure and, and uh, undefiled. And all of those are good. I'm good with all of those. The concept is that this is going to be a perfect lamb. And the blood shedding is the beginning of Passover. We often think of that. The very first event of Passover is bloodshed. You're going to have to cut the throat of a lamb. Pour out the blood, keep some of it, and with the hyssop, put it on the doorposts and lintel of your home, 
And that's the beginning of Passover, is a bloodletting. Uh, that's a violent beginning, isn't it? And then we're going to roast it. We roast it because of the fastest way of cooking it, roasting with fire. And that's going to set up our sacrificial system of the burnt offerings. We're essentially making it a burnt offering. And at this point, there is no Levitical priesthood. And, there, and, that, and remember, God says, I want to make everyone in the nation a priest before me. And so each household sets himself up that they are essentially offering this as a burnt offering and they're going to consume it with zero leftovers. Whatever's left over, you will throw it in the fire and have it destroyed. It is to completely be consumed that night, used up, because the sacrifice is complete. There's a, an end to it, a conclusion to this. It's not going to drag on and on and on. There's not the sacrifice plus, 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 plus. It is a single sacrifice, a single event, and it's going to have a, a violent beginning. Uh, uh, it's going to be completed before morning, and there will be no leftovers. It is, it is all you need. Uh, you're going to eat it with the bitter herbs. You're going to eat it with unleavened bread. So you have three elements of a Passover meal. Correct? Three elements. The lamb, roasted. You're going to have bitter herbs, which is going to be a reminder of the slavery that they had in the past. And the unleavened bread, which speaks to what? The hurry with which the, the journey is going to take. God's deliverance is going to be fast, so fast, you can't wait for bread to rise if you're going to bake enough for the journey. And so we have, this is what it's focused in on. Now, why do I want to just boil it down to these three things? Because many of our, what you see being celebrated today is called a Seder meal. And we had a, a Jewish gentleman come in here and do a Seder meal. We did all that, and it was a lengthy, drawn-out thing. It takes hours and hours to do. Uh, and of course, the Passover meal could take all night. You had all night to eat this, right? You had to be gone by morning. And so you are going to begin, you have the cooking process that you're having there at sunset because you didn't kill the animal till sunset. And so uh, from then on, you're going to roast it. You're going to eat it as a family. You, no one's leaving the house. And if you and your neighbor need to share a lamb, you don't leave that house. You stay together there and consume that. And so we see in the Seder meal, we have all these other things there. You know, you've got to have, and there's no roasted lamb anymore. It's, it's a chicken. You've got all these things. You say, what's all this about? Well, their Seder meal has been, is really the replacement of the Passover. They're not really keeping Passover in its truest sense. What they are doing with the Seder meal is fulfilling all the rabbinic teaching um, that has gone on in the, uh, largely in the time of the exile and following. That those, those components of the Seder meal are not really biblical components. They have been added by Rabbi so-and-so, Rabbi so-and-so, some of it from the Talmud. And so we have it gathered from all these different sources, even from post-Christians, you know, uh, Anti-Christian, uh, anti, anti, which means before, before Christ as well as after Christ, you have all these additions to this celebration, but none of them are tied to biblical things. The only thing that's biblical there is the bitter herbs which they still maintain and the unleavened bread, but they've foregone 
the bloodletting and the roasted lamb. And they've added all these other things. And you got to have the seat for Elijah, right? You have to have an empty seat at the table for Elijah. And you have all these rabbinic traditions in the Seder meal that are not really found in Scripture at all. And, and they try to give it meaning. And, and Christians come in. Sometimes they say this is a Christian influence on this meal. Uh, and that would be from the Judaistic side of Christianity. The Judaizers would have tried to Christianize Passover a little bit. Uh, but when you abandon the core, what is the core of this meal? Uh, you can't miss it in this passage. What is God concerned about them eating? You got to kill the lamb, you got to shed its blood, you got to roast it, and you got to eat it, and whatever you don't eat, you got to destroy with fire. From beginning to end, from sunset to sunrise, the number one concern is the lamb and it is what is extracted from their meal, from the Seder. It's replaced with chicken somehow along the way. And so we come to this and we uh, see why are they extracting the sacrifice of the lamb from the Passover meal? It wasn't in Jesus' time, but in tradition now, they don't have it. They don't have that. Um, we still have lamb largely eaten during this time, um, but not in the Seder that we participated in and that I understand from others that they have participated in. Some still do. The, the Orthodox people still do this, by the way. Orthodox Jews still have the lamb. Uh, but why are we avoiding that? Because of the testimony of Christ. What is the declaration here? The deliverance comes to the perfect lamb who came and dwelt with you for a little while, and your deliverance really began with, its, with a violent act against it that would be finished in that of single event. We have for us a picture here of Christ and of the deliverance, and so we, we don't want to miss that at all. Uh, and, we, and with all these other rabbinic traditions centered around this that have been added, 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 what has diminished and diminished and diminished to the point that in many cases it's absent is the blood of the lamb. And so we, we want to come to this and recognize, well, um, the priority here in the instruction was about the lamb. You didn't bake the unleavened bread ahead of time. You had to make sure there was no leaven in your house. You had to have only leavened, uh, no leavened bread in your house. So you, you ate all that beforehand, got rid of that, and now you have just unleavened bread in your house. Uh, it doesn't say you can't have leaven in your house. No leavened bread available. And we have this great transformation. And this is uh, all the descriptions. Let's keep going. I kind of interrupted this. Um, you're going to eat it a certain way. Uh, <clears throat> let's see here. Verse 11 is where we want to pick up. Thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn land of Egypt, both man and beast, against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance, Seven days shall eat unleavened bread. On the first, and then it goes right into the Feast of Unleavened Bread. 
And so the Feast of Unleavened Bread is certainly tied into this because of the concept of haste. But you're going to eat it in a manner that shows you're ready to move. You're ready to have a change of life. You're going from being slaves to being freemen. You're going from being servants of Pharaoh to being servants of God and as their own nation. And this is a wonderful description of what, and why we should be celebrating this. Think about the salvific event of Christ on the cross for you. Uh, it happens one time, right? How many times do you need to receive Christ as your Savior? Once. But it should be a dramatic event in your life. It should transform you. You should be a different person after that event than you were before that event. And if that's not the case, then I would challenge you that that event wasn't genuine. Okay? So, if you decided, I don't want to put blood on the doorposts of my house, but we're going to do everything else. What's going to happen to you during the night? Your firstborn's going to die. What's going to happen to you in the morning? You're going to be stuck in Egypt. You see, you can do all the rest, but if you haven't applied the shed blood personally to your life in a genuine, forthright manner, uh, you are still under the judgment of God. You are still a slave in Egypt. The transformation, if you want to go from being a slave to being free, a slave to sin, or free sons of God, uh, has to have a transformation. That event should be radical. We should be able to point to it and say, that's when it happened. That's when I became a new creation in Christ, was this event. But is that the end of it? No, it should be immediately followed by the beginning of a hasty journey. The new Christian who has no interest in growing in Christ as quickly as possible is suspect. Let me say that again. The new convert who has made a profession of faith and is disinterested in quickly finding out what the journey of a life of Christ is, is questionable. If they don't have the concept that I need to, I'm way behind, I need to find these things out, I want to, I want to, be transformed. I want to know what God wants. I want to know his word. I, and there should be a hunger and thirsting of such an uh, extreme measure that it almost exhausts the discipler. Because they should just be wanting, God, look, I, I got to know, I got to know. There should be a hastiness. They should want to have that and, and to, be, to get, as, uh, get started on their journey as quickly as possible. And it's really frustrating as a pastor and counter people and they they say they've got saved in such and such a time i says oh well you were baptized right away and you started serving god right away well no i haven't been baptized yet i'm like how did that happen how could that happen how come not the day after you got saved you started asking and begging and saying i need to be baptized i need to be baptized i need to follow god in obedience I need to be in God's word. I need to be discipled. And I need to be in church. And I need to be among God's people. And I need to be reading God's word. I need a copy of God's word. I need, 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 need. This is what a new believer who has gone from being a slave to sin to being a son of God should sound like. This is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The journey has begun. And for that first week of the journey, they, they are in a hurry to get away from Egypt and get to the promised land. And if someone is not in a hurry to get away from Egypt to the promised land, I have to wonder if the blood was really applied. 
even while, as soon as you apply the blood, remember, you do that at the beginning, right at the beginning of Passover, right? That's the first event of Passover. Slit the throat. Spill the blood. Put it on your door. That's the beginning of that. From the moment that happens, from then on, you are in a hurry. You are wearing clothes that are in a hurry. You are, have an attitude of being in a hurry. You are ready to get out of Egypt. Are you out of Egypt yet? No, but you're ready. And you're antsy all night about it, and, and in the morning you're going to be commanded, get out of my country. And the world's going to hate you. They're going to want you gone or dead. And so we should have an attitude like that, and this is what really should be the evidence of a genuine confession of faith, is this hunger, this desire to move as quickly as possible. And honestly, I've rarely found that. I have occasionally, but I've rarely found that. I need to know, I need to know, I need to know. And those people are exciting to be around because I, I, I'm one of those guys that I would love to teach you everything. You're going to come to my house, we're going to stay up for the next 72 hours, I'm going to teach you everything I know. You know and, and I'm the kind of guy that's happy to do that. And uh, some of you have been around and know that you get me going, and I don't care what time of day or night it is. I'm just going to keep going as long as you stay awake and engage. And so there should be this drive. I need to get out of Egypt. I need to get away from my slavery. I need to find out as fast as I can what God wants. I want to follow him, and I don't have time for anything else. I don't have time to sit there and worry about all these other things and what I'm leaving behind and, oh, oh, I can't take that with me. It's too heavy. Um, I can't take this. You know, I'm not going to walk around my house in Egypt and say this. I'm going to pack my, the necessary hours. I'm going to get on a thing and get out of town. I want to get on the journey. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread is about the journey. It starts with a Passover. Or, I'm sorry. It starts with a Sabbath. It ends with a Sabbath. So now we have Passover as a Sabbath, Feast of Unleavened Bread, first day is a Sabbath. What's happening that first day? Now Passover, remember, ends with them following God out of Egypt, out of Pharaoh's presence at least. It takes them a while to get out of Egypt, um, but they're following God out, they're beginning this journey, and they're going to go day and night and day and night. They're going to be traveling day and night, the Bible says so. Hence the cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. They are not wasting any time. They're going to make as much distance between them and Egypt as quickly as they can. They're not going to stop and cook. Hence they had to bake all that bread in the, from the time they were told to, um, to, the, to that night. They had to bake as much bread as they could for the journey. And they were going to eat unleavened bread. And by the way, unleavened bread um, lasts longer than leavened bread. Okay, it is uh, more stable. And so we have them eating unleavened bread. That's crackers. All right? Think of crackers versus bread. Which one goes moldy first? Which one gets stale and bad first? It's the unleavened bread. And so we see them ready to travel, ready to make some miles or between them and the Egyptians. We're going to make a, several days' journey away from them. We've got to get away from Pharaoh as fast as we can that's what the Feast of Unlabra is celebrating, is the beginning of the journey of making the distance between us and what Egypt was. Now, um, sadly, what do the Israelites keep saying as they're 
along this journey for 40 years. What do they keep saying? Huh? Oh, if only, did you bring us here to die here instead of in Egypt? We could have served Pharaoh in Egypt, and here we are uh, at the Red Sea, and he's going to kill us here. Did you bring us to have our bodies all die in the wilderness? And then later on, oh, for the leeks and the garlics of Egypt, and then it would be better for us to be, yeah, they want to be back home. And so God knows the fickleness of men's heart, and that's why that first week to get as great a distance between Pharaoh and them as they could. And it is so important, I believe, in the Christian walk to get a new convert as quickly into God's word to understand what God desires of them, to get them out of Egypt. Get them away from their life of sin. They've made this commitment to Christ. Let's see if it's real. And unfortunately, in our society, that's, that's generally not measured. But that is not normative on the earth. Please realize that American Western experience is not the norm. When someone accepts Christ as their Savior in Muslim countries, how fast do you think the consequences are? Yeah, right away. They are ostracized from family. They often lose their job. Their life is under threat. Um, how quickly do they need to make distance between them and Egypt, Egypt being their own sinful life? Well, they need to make that distance very quickly. And we're talking about a spiritual distance where we get them into God's word and we find out what is this faith that you believe in and we, and we trust in them and we, and we uh, just fill them with God's word and, and the, let the spirit work and we, and we build that fellowship around them and that discipleship. And that's why the Bible says, make disciples and teach them to observe all things I command you. And, and so we make disciples, baptize them, teach them. Boom, boom, boom. And it might start looking like the same event, but it is make disciples. That's the Passover. Teach them, baptize them, and teach them. Uh, I, I consider baptism the morning you leave. The morning you're, you're chased off, and I'm a new person. I'm now free. I'm no longer a slave. Now I'm free. Overnight, that happened. And now the journey begins. Teach them to deserve whatever I've commanded you. It all pictured there in the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so we have this as the beginning. This is the beginning of months. It's the second Sabbath. The moon is in this phase. You'll always know it by the phase of the moon. You'll always know it by the season of rains, uh, the rainy season. And so uh, when those rains are in your promised land, you know when this is. You know when this month is. And and. You know the phase of the moon, and this is when you will practice it. And we have wonderful opportunities. Now, each day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they are to also offer burnt offering. And so this is a day of, these are days of celebrating that God provided for them on that journey. That journey from, from Goshen, the land of Goshen, that's where Israel had located, right? That journey from the land of Goshen to Paharoth, uh, which is on the border of the Red Sea, which we now know is, is not where everyone else says, uh, that the Sinai Peninsula is not the Sinai Peninsula at all. It was part of Egypt, and so there's a proper crossing the Red Sea. From there to there was that first journey. And I am convinced that what they are celebrating is that time they made tracks out of Egypt, they are still in Egypt. 
when they are at the shore of the Red Sea, they're still technically in Egypt. When they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground that night and day, um, now they're out of Egypt. And God says, I'm purposely taking them that way for one reason and one reason only, so that they don't go back to Egypt. It's really hard to go back across the Red Sea when you walked across it on dry ground and didn't have a boat. Right? And so he says, I don't want them to double back. He knew what was in their heart. And so that first week of unleavened bread is this is the beginning of the journey. And we're going to celebrate the beginning of the journey where we have complete dependence of God, but we're also in a hurry. And there should be, a, a, there should be a, an urgency in new Christians to learn as much as they can and to be as different as they can from the world. And when that's missing, um, it makes their confession of faith suspect that somehow I can have this dramatic event in my life and then just keep living the way I always lived. That is very foreign to God's word. You just don't find that. We find dramatic events. Can you imagine uh, Saul having this event on the road to Damascus and going up to uh, Ananias in, in Damascus and receiving a sight, saying, well, now I can go back to being who I was and head back to Jerusalem and trying to figure out how to be a Pharisee and a Christian? Can you imagine that? No. Dramatic transformation. And this is the power of Passover, of God's deliverance upon the blood. And the Feast of, pa of Unleavened Bread is about the journey. So we're celebrating the deliverance and the initiation of the journey of God leading them by day and night to get to the Red Sea and to cross that Red Sea. And then once they've crossed the Red Sea and all of Pharaoh's chariots are drowned, now are we in a hurry? No, we're not in a hurry. There's no going back. Your enemy is destroyed. And now your focus is on, I want to go meet with God. I want him to lead me so I can meet with him and find out what he desires of me. But, there, but that early period where we have God's dramatic deliverance to the time when we are finally out of Egypt needs to be so carefully handled. And the early church did that. When you go to the book of Acts, what happened when people accepted Christ? They were baptized, they were added to their number, and they met daily, house to house. Why did they have to meet daily? Because there was an urgency. I need to figure out who this Jesus is because I've been, I've been against him all this time. Now I'm calling him my Lord and Savior. Now I need to know who he is, what is he requirement, and what kind of person should I be. And there should be an urgency. Not a, a carelessness about it. There should be an urgency. I want to know. I want to begin this journey right. And I'm convinced that one of the hazards of our churches today is that we don't have the Feast of Unleavened Bread spiritually in our midst. We focus on the Passover. We forget the journey. We want this big event in people's lives and we all celebrate and the angels celebrate when, when a sinner comes to Christ and we'll sing and we'll shout about it and then, you know, well, did he ever get baptized? Did he ever, where does the beginning of his walk? When someone comes to know Christ, that's when we have to have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. All right. You've gotten to know Christ. What does that mean? 
Uh, did, get your belt on, get your shoes on, get your overcoat on, because you're on a journey now, and we're going to have to help you because you're way behind. Uh, the world's going to hate you, and you need to make some tracks out of Egypt. And you got to start walking with the Lord as quickly as possible and to get a little distance between you and, and the enemy, because otherwise, what will happen? God knows exactly what would happen. You will double back, and you'll go back to Egypt. God said this. This is the danger. And that's why I'm taking you down to the Red Sea for this one week. You're crossing the Red Sea, and now there's no going back. And then God starts providing water and manna, and there was no manna that first week. Not until you get over there. Then God provides water out of the rock. Manna falls from heaven. Um, there's quail blowing in with the wind. Uh, all this provision happens over there. doesn't happen in Egypt. we got to get people out of Egypt. We need to have the event. We need to have the Passover event. But we have to have the Feast of Unleavened Bread in their life spiritually. you got to get them out of Egypt. And that means that we have to be out of Egypt to lead them out. Okay? Don't be living in Egypt trying to tell people don't be like the world when we are just like the world. And so much like Moses' father-in-law, we ought to be the priests of Midian that are waiting for them to get out of there. But we need to help them. We need to take, like Moses, and take them out of Pharaoh's uh, camp, out of Goshen, and get them to the shores of the Red Sea and across it to make that distance of their old life to their new life. And uh, I'm convinced that that's a critical part of our discipleship is that time of haste that we should just be at it. And a wonderful presentation in, the, in this first uh, two uh, holy days, holy feasts of Israel toward their God. Thank you for the deliverance and thank you for making the journey to get us out of Egypt, to make tracks out of Egypt. We didn't get to the promised land, but we got out of Egypt. And that's what we want to see. If we want God to deliver people, yes. We want them to, to receive him as Savior. We want them to, forget, to have the forgiveness of sins. We want them to have that event, that, that singular event. But if it doesn't follow up with an intense urgency to get out of Egypt spiritually, then we got to wonder what's going on. We should be doing that. And this is the example of the Feast of Unleavened Bread that needs to be taught. And again, we have sacrifices every day. We have unleavened bread eaten every day. We have two Sabbaths. It begins and ends with a Sabbath. Um, but it's very clearly, this is the Lord's days. These are critical days for Israel. And God leads them by a fire, by a cloud, and leads them not up to Canaan, but leads them to the shores of the Red Sea, to a trap that only he can deliver them from. And, uh, and then, then, once they are free of that, of their opportunity to go back to Egypt, once they're free of that and those bridges have been burned, because <laughs> there was no bridge, um, <laughs> once the chariots have been drowned, now we can take our time and start this process of teaching the law and teaching about our relationship with God and, and finding daily provision and sustenance from the God spiritually and all the benefits that take time to mature in Christ. But oh, that we would understand those first 
days are so critical. It's silly to say we're going to make a professional faith today and I won't contact you till you show up to another service. Uh, that's shameful on me, on churches uh, in general. We need to be feeding that urgency that should be in their life to say, I need to be a new person. And there should be a hastiness, a desire to move quickly um, to, again, distance yourself from what you were and to confirm yourself in what you claim to be now. Okay. Next week we're going to get into some of the other aspects, but this is the first one. So I'm trying to go through them pretty quickly so we're not bogging down into these. And when we're going to get in, we're going to be in Leviticus a lot um, with the priestly service times and because they are critical when we get in the New Testament to understanding the timing of things in the New Testament. Okay, Let's have our prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your instruction here. And Lord, we also know that you have given instruction to Israel that no stranger is allowed to partake in these events because they are not covered under the blood. And Lord, we know that what we talked about tonight is really not for the unbelievers, not for the stranger. It's for only those who have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, that the unleavened bread, the hastened journey, the flight from Egypt is one that is dependent upon uh, feasting on the lamb. Having received the protection and the covering of that shed blood. And Lord, our prayers that we might not be like Israel and desire after Egypt. Look over our shoulder to what the world has, to the leeks and the garlics, to the comforts and that we might remember the pains and the misery and the despair of slavery to sin and press on toward the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray for the lost around us. We pray for men to get saved. We pray for those dramatic events in their lives to transform them, to make them new creatures. And then, Lord, we know that we have a responsibility to lead them out of Egypt. And Lord, help us to lay hold of that and to sense the urgency of that, that we do not wait for them to turn back, but that we lead them quickly and directly to you, to follow your word, to trust in you day and night, uh, to your honor, glory, and praise, that they might uh, find their sustenance and their, and their uh, instruction, their, their safety in you and you alone. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.